Once again, good morning, everyone. Just want to introduce uh, Father Greg Peterson here. He's a fellow companion. He's up at Our Lady of the Valley in Windsor, and he's passing through the area today. He's actually a classmate of Father Brian's. They were ordained together. You're probably wondering why he's here on a Sunday. Uh, Father Greg is on sabbatical uh, for six months, which is super exciting. He looks really happy, so can you imagine if Father Brian took a sabbatical, right? Don't tell him I said that. Um, so it's great to have Father Greg here with us. He actually leaves uh, to go to the Holy Land tomorrow, um, which is very exciting. To, to be on sabbatical, to get some rest, um, he's still pastor during this time, and then he'll come back in June, hopefully refreshed and ready to attack the parish again. The end of our gospel today, right, says, uh, let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Everything else comes from the evil one. Whenever anyone cancels on me, I always text them this verse, right? I say Matthew 5.37. I hope when we read this gospel, it kind of challenges us. Some hard words in here today. I think we look at it and... It might be hard to hear. The challenge of the law of God. God's law. God, do I have to really obey all this? If my hand causes me to sin, cut it off. If my eye, if my eye causes me to sin, pluck it out. I hope when we read the gospel at times, it might even frighten us. It might even worry us. The invitation for today is to see the law of God as beautiful. And though it challenges at times, it really is beautiful. Jesus is speaking in a bit of hyperbole here. We have to note that. Uh, he doesn't literally mean go pluck out your eye or cut off your hand. But what he's talking about is he wants us to be obedient, to follow him, and to root out sin completely from our lives, to do anything we can so that we might remain in a state of grace, a state of union with him, right? So we're in Matthew chapter 5, and we have to remember uh, Matthew 5 through 7 is this powerful, what's called the Sermon on the Mount, the, the most powerful, the best sermon ever preached. We've been hearing this over the last few Sundays, and today it gets a little bit more challenging for us. But we have to remember the backstory of the Sermon on the Mount. It goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 19. In Exodus chapter 19, Moses goes up on the mountain. He encounters God up there for 40 days and 40 nights. The finger of God carves into those two stone tablets the Ten Commandments. Moses goes up, he encounters God, he comes back down and gives to the Israelites that law. Fast forward to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Moses speaks and he expounds or expands on the Ten Laws, the Ten Commandments. And that's what Jesus is quoting from today. You have heard that it was said, you should not kill. What is that? That's the fifth commandment. You should not commit adultery. What is that? The sixth commandment. And Jesus wants to show us it's not enough just to check the boxes. 
It's not enough just to say, oh yeah, I do all those things. I'm pretty sure I've never killed anyone. He wants to invite us into something so much more beautiful and so much more deep. To give everything over to him. Moses goes up on the mountain, comes down with that law. Jesus goes up on the mountain, the Sermon on the Mount, the Mount of the Beatitudes, he who is God, and then he comes down and presents this teaching to us and gives us the eight Beatitudes and then the rest of this sermon as we hear. But here's the primary thing I want you to remember for today. God's love always precedes his law. God's love always precedes his law. Certainly we look at this and we might think, God, how am I ever going to live up to this? But God's love comes first. Before Moses goes up on the mountain, what happens? How do they get there? How does Israel get to Mount Sinai? The Israelites are enslaved in Egypt. And God comes to rescue them from that. Out of his love, he sends the ten plagues. Out of his love, he sends Moses to rescue them from Pharaoh. And they go and they start those desert wanderings and brings them to Mount Sinai, the place of theophany, the place of encounter with God. God loves them through that. And through his love, he then says, you're not called to still be in Egypt. You're not called to still be a slave to your sin. You're called for, so much, uh, for things that are so much greater and so much better, which is why I present to you this law. I love you. Will you follow the law that I give to you? The law of God, brothers and sisters, is meant to set us free. When we're obedient to it, we're happier. We're more joyful, and we become alive in a new way in Christ. But in order to follow it, we have to recognize that God loves us first. And so today, if you heard the gospel, and you thought to yourself, how could God possibly love me? How am I supposed to follow this? I invite you then to spend more time in prayer. I invite you uh, to take prayer, that, that relationship with the Lord, more seriously so that you can be with him in a, 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 an intimate relationship of love. And get to know him. Let him, allow him to get to know you. Maybe you're already doing that. Maybe you're already spending a lot of time in prayer. If that's you, then this gospel is probably for you. The call to be more obedient to his law so that you can be more free to flourish as a child of God that he's calling you to be. God's love always precedes his law. Our response to his law shows us or shows him how much we love him back. On February 11th, yesterday, 1858, we know the story, right? Bernadette Subaru, a poor peasant girl, 
is home from uh, working and she's home for the summer, home for that time of year. And her parents ask her to go collect some firewood with her two sisters. So Bernadette goes out in the southern part of France in Lourdes. She goes to look for this firewood. And as she's by a stream, she hears a rustling of wind. She hears this rustling of wind. She turns around and she doesn't see any trees. She doesn't see any trees moving. Uh, where is this wind coming from? And she hears it again. And then she looks across the stream at a beautiful grotto. And in that grotto, she sees a bright white light. Mary has appeared to her. Our mother, dressed in white, with a blue sash around her waist and yellow roses on her feet. Burnett said this was the most incredible, beautiful thing that she's ever seen. She wasn't able to put words to it. This isn't just like a hallucination. This isn't just like uh, a picture that we kind of imagine. This is real, an apparition. Mary actually appeared to a poor, peasant, 14-year-old girl on February 11, 1858. Burdett kept going back there time and again, and people would follow her because they were so enraptured. What are you seeing? And every time Burnett would go, Our Lady would have her hands folded with the rosary around her hands. And Burnett would pull out her rosary and begin to pray the rosary with our Blessed Mother. And time and again when she went, she said, I was flooded with peace, I was flooded with joy, the Blessed Mother was there with me. And we'd pray the rosary together. People began to doubt because they saw, they saw Bernadette praying and kneeling at the foot of the Blessed Virgin Mary, but no one else could see Our Lady of Lords. A few weeks later, on March 25th, the bishops and the priests had asked, you need to ask this lady who you are. So on March 25th, Our Lady finally told Bernadette, this is who I am. She said, I am the Immaculate Conception. Bernadette goes back to the bishop and says, this is who the lady is, she's the Immaculate Conception. And the bishop looked at her and said, do you know what that means? A poor, uneducated girl, she had no idea what those words meant. What does immaculate mean? What does conception mean? She had no concept of it. And what's so crazy and beautiful about this is four years prior to that, on December 8th, 1854, Pope Pius IX dogmatically defined what the immaculate conception is. That Mary is conceived without sin, without any stain of original sin. But there was tensions in the church. People struggled to know what that meant. People struggled to believe. How can the Pope dogmatically define this? How could Mary possibly be without sin before Christ and the merits of his passion? And there was tensions. People struggled to believe. So four years later, when Our Lady appears to Bernadette and says, I am the Immaculate Conception to a poor, uneducated girl, 14 years old, who doesn't know what that meant, the bishop was shocked. And he believed. Mary truly is without sin. The Immaculate Conception.
Mary asked Bernadette to dig in a spot specifically there. And she dug, and now there's that miraculous water of the Lord's water in the grotto there. Seventy cures, miraculous cures, have been confirmed by the Vatican from the water at Lourdes, from the healing power that the Lord has brought to those people. And certainly countless numbers of other people have experienced God there through the Blessed Virgin Mary of Lourdes. The thing that I want to leave us with today is one of the main messages of Lourdes that Our Lady gave to Bernadette is to pray. To pray the rosary and to offer penance for sinners. To pray the rosary and to offer penance for sinners. You see, when we pray, it enlivens everything. When we fall in love with God, when we have that intimate relationship with him, we're able to follow his law. We're able to uh, do anything because we trust him, because we love him, because it animates us. It gives us nourishment. You know, the image that comes to mind, it's kind of a tacky image, so stay with me here, but, um, or a silly image, I should say, but a few years ago, um, my buddy and I, we were driving from Cheyenne to Dodge City. We were going to different ordinations. So Friday, we had an ordination in Cheyenne Diocese, and then we had to drive overnight to Dodge City for another ordination. And of course, we drove in his 1952 Chevy pickup, which was super fun. Uh, it doesn't go faster than 55 miles per hour, so uh, very slow drive. We had 15 hours to make a 10-hour drive, essentially. And what's so fun about that 1952 Chevy pickup is there's no power steering on it, right? And so when you're driving, it's like you're just swerving back and forth through the lane because, uh, again, there's no power steering. And then when you get into the city and you really have to crank the wheel in order to turn. If your power steering pump has ever gone out on your car, you know exactly what that feels like. When we have the proper tools, the proper equipment, it makes everything go more smoothly. Prayer is like that with regards to our relationship with God. When we pray, when we have that spiritual nourishment, indeed, when we offer penance, when we pray the rosary, it gives us that nourishment to fall in love with the law of God, to be obedient to him, to give us life. Prayer is our constant nourishment, the breath of our soul. All the virtues are born into the soul that prays. I want to close with looking at our collect for today. Right? Our collect is the opening prayer. It's when the priest says, let us pray. There's a moment of silence, and the priest collects all the prayers that you come with. Everything that weighs on our hearts, everything that's here, the priest collects them and prays the collect, lifting all those things up to the Father. And this is what our collect says for the sixth Sunday in ordinary time. O God, who teach us that you abide in hearts that are just and true, grant that we may be so fashioned by your grace 
as to become a dwelling pleasing to you. O God, who teach us that you abide in hearts that are just and true. Brothers and sisters, the good news is that God abides within you. When we fall in love with him, when we have those true and just hearts, when we follow his law, God abides in your soul. I just want to say there's been certainly a lot of heaviness in our community recently. Some deaths, a lot of sick, a lot of suffering. Sometimes there's not words. I don't know what to pray, I don't know what to say, but you know what keeps us going? Is that God abides in your soul. May he make so that we may become a dwelling pleasing to him. So Jesus, as we turn to you today, we come with hearts filled with you, and we ask that as we receive you in the blessed sacrament, that you would fill us once again, that we might have true communion, that we might have true union with you. And Jesus, we ask that you might teach us and help us to fall deeper in love with you and deeper in love with your law. Our Lady of Lords, pray for us.